hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. You've heard the saying, make your money work harder for you than you work for it. But how? It's the goal of most members of the FIRE community and really, well, anyone who wants to fat retire. <laughs> Today's episode will give you a strategy to do just this. You're listening to Queer Money, episode 432. And today, our guest, Dividend Dreams, shares how she went from broke to having $3 million, mostly through dividend investing. Let's start getting those dividends and let's start this show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of the Queer Money Podcast. I'm always excited when we get to interview another member of the queer community that is doing something in the personal finance space. You know that we, on a regular basis, try to find other queer folks who are out there sharing, talking about how we can improve our lives financially as examples for other people in the queer community, because for a long time, we haven't had them. So we are super excited to have Dream of Dividend Dream on the podcast today. Dividend Dream is our international lady of mystery. <laughs> so we, if you are watching this on YouTube, Dream wants to keep herself slightly anonymous. So we don't have a video of Dream, but we are super excited to have you join us today. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. I appreciate it. Definitely. One of the things that I would say I love about you and what you do share is it isn't just droll personal finance content. You mix it up with what's going on in your daily life, the things that you're thinking about, even some of the things you're drinking <laughs> and the comments that come out of your mouth while you're drinking, which I love. I think it's funny to, to see your personality. It's amazing to see that. But one of the other th great things is that you have a great money story here. From what we've gathered, you have a net worth today that you've shared is close to or maybe even surpassed $3 million today. That's but it sounds like... That wasn't handed to you on a silver platter. So maybe it was a little bit hard for you. How, give us an idea on your background and how this all happened. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, in terms of my, first of all, in terms of my financial life, you know, I guess, how would I say? I grew up sort of solidly middle class, a child of immigrants who came to this country to really have a better life. My parents are British. <laughs> and so I guess part of my story is that when I was young, they got a divorce and that really turned my life, sort of flipped it upside down. And so we went from, you know, sort of like this solidly middle class family to me, my mom, my siblings living out of like a room in a stranger's house for a while. And so as a kind of a young person, I witnessed my family, my mom, not having any money, not having sort of a formal education in the U.S. And, you know, sort of the reverberations of 
relying on someone else for all forms of support and money. And I just remember things like vividly knowing that I had like one pair of sneakers for the entire year. And that's all I was ever going to have. I needed to make it last or max of two pairs of jeans. And that was it. And just things like that, like pretending I wasn't hungry when I was, because I knew that it cost money. And, you know, saying I didn't want to be on a sports team when I did, because I knew that it would cost me stuff like that. Right. Mm. So just that feeling from, I guess, a child of just feeling trapped, feeling of no control, feeling that sort of constant sacrifice and mental games, actually, that I just needed to play with myself so that I could still feel confident at school or whatever. And so I guess I just learned early on that I just didn't want that to be my whole life, you know? And so that, I guess, is a little bit of my humble beginnings, (laughs) for sure. So just to take a little bit of a detour on that specific topic there, do you have any idea why you possibly went the abundance route versus the scarcity mindset route? Mm. Yeah, that's interesting because it is a fork in the road, right? Where some people buckle down and go the one direction. I guess I just, (laughs) is that what it was? (laughs) Yeah, that's, you know, when my dad quit his job because of religion and we went into making a lot less, he went into making a lot less money. Our family, whole family went down the scarcity mindset route and I just rode that bandwagon for a long time. But back to you. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I mean... I just, I guess I just didn't want that to be the story of my whole life. It felt terrible. You know, I just, I experienced that whole feeling of, like I said, trapped, no control, all of those things. And I just started thinking like, what are all the ways that I could prevent what happened to my mom to happen to me? She didn't have a U.S. education because she was British, smart woman, but did just didn't have a U.S. education. So she couldn't get a job after being like a housewife. So here I am at like, 11 years old, 12 years old, thinking, okay, (laughs) I need to get an education. I need to be self-reliant. I need to be all of the things that I'm seeing that's causing all of this. I need to be the opposite of that. I need to be aggressive with money early. I need to like invest. I didn't even know what that meant. I had zero clue, no clue what that would look like or could look like. It's not like I had any examples in front of me. So I guess I just at a young age, it was a little bit more of a panic, scared kind of thing, where I just started thinking like strategically, how could I, you know, how could I make sure that doesn't happen to me? And then of course, shortly thereafter, realizing that I'm bi, I'm attracted to women, all of those things made me even more scared because, I mean, I I don't know how old you guys are, but I'm in my mid forties. And back when I was a teenager, the view of... (laughs) an LGBT life was like dire, (laughs) you know? I mean, I thought no one was going to hire me. No one would work with me. No one would certainly want to work for me. So I really started getting strategic about what was I going to have to do in order to just make sure that I didn't drown in life, 
So it's, uh, I applaud you because, you know, I would think there's not a lot of people who go down that path, especially folks in the LGBT community. We oftentimes can get either a helpless or hopeless feeling, mm-hmm. and that doesn't really breed wanting to go out there and conquer the world and do much better for yourself. So do you think that this is, well, first of all, you use this acronym DREAM. Do you think that this has contributed to where you came up with this whole idea? And what is DREAM? All right. So that's a really good question. (laughs) What is DREAM? That's a great question. (laughs) So this whole thing honestly started on a whim. I was sitting in my backyard doing my monthly spreadsheet, you know, doing the thing that I always have done for quite honestly, like 20 years where I, I sit down every month and I go through how much, how many dividends I'm getting, you know, where my money is. I literally have done that every single month for 20 years. And I just started thinking about how big this dividend snowball was starting to get just for context. I'm at about 95,000 a year. I remember like I'm sitting out there in the sunshine and I just thought, what a shame it is that I cannot help anyone else to know about this because Honestly, it would have changed my life. And I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel where I can be work optional, where I don't have to have a nine to five, where I don't have to worry about being who I am every minute of every fucking day. (laughs) And I just thought, I wish there was a way. I'm not a licensed financial advisor. I can't sit down and do that. Or I could, I could get licensed, but I just wanted something to, t- I wanted to tell beginners, not experienced investors, because those people already know, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to tell and reach someone just like me, someone who is young, a woman, LGBT, someone who doesn't know anything about investing, maybe someone who is risk averse. I was so risk averse for so long. I didn't take enough risk, really, now looking back, and just wanted to show a vision and consistent results so that kind of person could feel comfortable and maybe see a vision of something that they could do, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just honestly came up with the Dividend Dream as a name and a logo in like nine minutes. And I started a YouTube channel by just pressing a couple of buttons. I had never created a video, never recorded anything, didn't even have a mic. You listen to my first videos. I mean, it's just straight off of my PC laptop that costs 700 bucks. I mean, it sounds awful. I had never edited anything. And I just and I just thought, if this reaches one or two people, I'll be like super excited. I'm sure nobody will ever will ever watch this stuff. <laughs> and then honestly, like something kind of tragic happened to me soon thereafter in 2022. And it was something where it was almost like one of the roughest years of my life, to be honest. And I just started doubling down on this thing that I started. And I just wouldn't wouldn't give up on it. So I think, you know, the fact that I'm reaching 18,000 people at this point is just shocking to me. And I never wanted to reveal who I am because I am still working and I am still doing some things out there. You know, I am sort of a known executive, that kind of thing. But all of the other stuff has been a surprise, to be honest. Like when you were saying people are wanting to know what I'm drinking and wearing and <laughs> what I'm eating and listening to and I tell you what, there's folks who have sent me pages and pages and emails of life decisions, wanting me to help them with like life coach decisions. And I'm so grateful and so amazed by all of that. You know, so yeah, I mean, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful surprise. 
Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ community, through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. I guess the last thing I would say in terms of tell us about Dream is the number one question I keep getting, aside from the 150 or so videos that I do on dividend investing and stock picks and all of those specific details, is how did you get the capital in the first place mm-hmm. in order to invest? And I realized after the like 200th time that I got that question is that people were really struggling with the basics of, gosh, I can't even think about investing, but you know, like I'm getting your vision, but I got to get out of debt. I don't know how to raise my revenue. Like, what do, how do I control expenses? And the crazy thing is like the dividend dream, which has been my dream forever, literally. <laughs> that's what I always have said myself. This is my dividend dream. I just started to think about that acronym of like, you know, D-R-E-A-M-S, debt, revenue, expenses, assets, you know, how to manage your mortgage strategy overall. And yeah, I created a video series just based on that, just to get to the basics of that question, because it's not an easy question when you don't get an inheritance, you don't (laughs) win the lottery. I mean, I'm a nine to five millionaire, you know, I did it the hard way. And I think that's another reason why I'm getting the response that I'm getting, because my path is a repeatable path. My path is something that anybody could do. I honestly believe that. And so I'm trying to lay it out as as clearly as I can for really anybody to take what they hopefully can use. Yeah, it's a very informative and inspiring video series that you did where you cover each of the letters of the acronym in DREAMS. One of the things I thought was really interesting was though how you talked about how you capitalized on your career. I think so yeah. many of us, we graduate college and we start a job and we just, we kind of whether intentional or not, we kind of sort of just get stuck in a cycle of I'm just this is where I work and I'm fighting for my one to three percent you know, cost of living increase every year and you know some years I'll get a bonus and some years I won't woe is me and I'm just struggling and struggling and you were it sounds like from what I from what we watched and read that you were very like ag- aggressive and methodical about your career. And you had a quote that, that we loved that you were actively being in control of your job revenue, which meant a combination of job hopping, moving cities when and if you needed to, climbing the corporate ladder. And also, and this is what I want to understand, sometimes you were doubling your income because you were getting paid an income while you were getting paid severance from a previous job. Could you explain that particular strategy for us, please? Yeah, for sure. I mean, first of all, me, aggressive. you must be joking um (laughs) you know yeah i i so okay so now you know a little bit about my background in terms of like the fire that was within that just propelled me to never fail or like i couldn't fail right but i guess i decided early on that i was willing to do whatever necessary to raise my income just as fast as possible for some reason I was just uber aware that I needed to get my revenue up as fast in my life, which is why, you know, I got an MBA as soon as I possibly could, all of those things. 
But this was before there were so many choices on the internet to sort of gig your way, right? To gig your way beyond your nine to five. So when I was starting, really the nine to five was the only way that you were going to increase your revenue, right? So basically I always had an entry and an exit plan. So I knew I wanted to sprint for like two to three years in every single job that I got. And I expected to get a promotion or to switch jobs in order to maximize that sort of like upward mobility. So I would try to actually pick two or three jobs at a time. I know that sounds weird, but I would select a job that I knew was going to be the stepping stone for the next job. Just remember, my parents were immigrants, right? So we had no connections. Right. Let me just repeat that. No connections. <laughs> right. So like, it's not like, you know, oh, let's call my friend, blah, blah, blah. And he'll help you get this job. I didn't know where to go. So when I mapped out, you know, sort of, I'm going to get this job to get this job to get this job. I would then, once I got the first job, map out month by month. And I know this sounds crazy, but I would map out month by month how I was going to impress, what expectations I was going to exceed. Every single year, I would ask for a raise, which I know is very uncommon for women. And I know that because I've had teams of hundreds of people and guess who never asked for a raise? Women. (laughs) And the guys often do every single year. So any women listening, ask for a raise every single year. Okay. And I would always ask about next steps, you know? And so this is for sure is not going to work if you're just clocking in and clocking out and then hoping, you know, hope is not a strategy, Right. but you know, so I would always be asking, okay. And in terms of the exit, I was always networking for my next gig. I always had lots of interest. And so when it came time for promotion, my current company, it was almost like, Hey boss, over to you. Like (laughs) up to you, if you want to give me a promotion or not, you know that I've got lots of interest otherwise. So let me talk about planning for exit. So in terms of severance, my point of view has always been the following. If you're a low sort of a entry level person, or even if you're upper level in a job, you can and will be let go for any number of reasons that are completely outside of your control. Mm -hmm. Mergers, Someone came in and wanted to give your job to their nephew. (laughs) Market changes and that company loses half their clients. Totally out of your control. I've had situations where after I was out, it was clear that there were people who didn't love that. And that's a concern, right? So no matter how good you are, it is going to happen in your career. You, Mm -hmm. You are going to lose a job. So I always went in asking about the end before I accepted the job. So like what happens in the event of a job loss? Is there severance? If so, how much? What is it based on? And then I would negotiate it going in. Whether it's a two week, you know, if you're if you're entry level, could be two week, it could be a month. I think the last big job that I had, I had a severance of I think six months. And because I was so well networked and there were so many people waiting for me on the other side, that as soon as I moved on, I had the next job that I was already working. So you can imagine if you do that two or three times in your career over a 30-year career, mm-hmm. that you could get paid double for three months, six months, even 12 months at a time, depending on how high up in the ladder you get. 
Right. Does that, does that make sense? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, That's brilliant. Does. I've never actually, I don't know why I feel so stupid. Well, I feel, <laughs> I have my whole career. I've never even thought about negotiating a severance going into a job. I've negotiated other things. I just never thought that that was an option. And I don't know why I didn't think that was an option. Yeah. And, and I feel extra stupid because John already knows this. Most of our listeners already know this. I got a nine month severance. And what did I do? I took seven months off. And then took two months to try to find a job. <laughs> and it was also a time period where I took my credit card debt from $14,000 to $17,000, even and he though spent I got it nine months severance. Every day in the summer, poolside drinking martinis with one of our friends who was a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so while she was getting paid to poolside. Well, it, it is fantastic, especially when you have the you have the planning in place and you've done all the things that you just talked about. And folks, I think what's really important here is we're not even focusing on money at all. We're focusing on the mentality of what it takes to get to this level where you can invest aggressively and grow your wealth massively and and really kind of blow up where you want to take your life, whether that's in the direction of charity, whether that's the direction in travel or starting your own business, whatever the case may be, you are methodical. And as John mentioned, I think many of us would get a job and we hop on the hamster wheel for two years. And then we're like, oh, well, I'm kind of getting bored. I wonder what I should do now. And then you start to think about planning and then it takes you a year or two to plan and you get comfortable and then something comes along and seven years later, you're still in the same job and you've gotten a total of maybe 20% increase in salary since you started seven years ago. And you're the antithesis of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I guess I always knew there would be no safety net for me. So whatever I was going to get is whatever my brain and my skin and my bones was going to produce. So I just didn't have the time to waste. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I always thought. <laughs> I love that you say whatever you were going to get is what you were going to go get. Right. And I love that because so many of us are like, where's my raise? Where's my promotion? And no one is there handing it to you. The only people who get it handed to them are the people who did the work to get it handed to them. (laughs) Or as you bring out, sometimes nepotism. (laughs) Right. (laughs) At what point in... Okay, so you're very strategic and methodical, and I will say aggressive in your career. What point did you start to... (laughs) And my guess, my assumption is, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, you probably started investing in your 401k pretty shortly after you started your professional career. I did. Correct. Okay. And then at what point, I mean, this is again about how did you get the, amass the money to be able to invest? At what point did you start diversifying your investments to incorporate other assets such as real estate and other assets you might have? Yeah. I mean, I, I bought a house like most people do late twenties, early thirties, and that was just my primary house. And through circumstances, I held on to that house and then I started renting it. And I started thinking, okay, wait a minute, maybe I could hang on to this house, get some rent, get that sort of appreciation. And so real estate really isn't my bag. I think I learned through that, that, oh my gosh, when there's a stopped up toilet or there's a crack in the wall or or whatever, you're going to get the call and you're going to have to deal with insurance and you're going to have to drive over there and see what the issue is. I mean, I just had, (laughs) I just had like a lightning strike happen to the house. Okay. That I still own the first house and it 
completely blew out all of the electricity. And the person who lives there had to move out for like almost two weeks and there was no air conditioning. Like all of that I had to deal with in the last two weeks. And so, you know, I think part of building wealth is just learning what works for you and what you like to do. And it's not just about building wealth, but just how do you want to build your life as well? So, I mean, even though I also have about $2 million in real estate at this point, it's not my bag. <laughs> you know, I can't wait. My I bad can't bag wait to... of $2 million. <laughs> what was that? My bad bag of $2 million. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, I can't wait to simplify and put that back into the market and, you know, live a more free life where it's more nomadic, more totally free. But yeah, I think, you know, for me, it was real estate. It was stock and really just those two. I've thought about other things like music royalties and other types of things, but it really, what jazzes me is business. I mean, that's what I'm classically trained to do with what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in it. I'm good at it. So that's just my preference. Stay well, in your lane. Yeah. And it's clear <laughs> It's clear you are headed in that direction with the, how you're diversifying your income streams with YouTube. And I see swag out there that we can purchase now. So <laughs> that's so, only because I started, people begged for pictures of me, which makes no sense at all. Who gives a shit what I look like? Who cares? <laughs> Just look at my portfolio. That's all you guys need to know. That's all I'm trying to do. <laughs> but I took a photo because they, they, whatever, and I made one hat with my logo on it so that I could take that one photo. And after that, it was like, we want the hat. We want the hat. So I was like, what, how do I do this? I don't want to mess with this, you know? So I just like set up that Etsy store to be automatic. I don't touch it. Whatever. You want to buy a hat, buy a hat. And then people <laughs> wanted mugs and then they wanted hoodies <laughs> and so I don't know, but it's, yeah, it's there. I think it's, 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 it's exactly like Matt Halloran from Proud Mouth said on the podcast a couple months ago. He said, we've entered an age where people don't want to be sold to anymore. We've all been sold to so much. Like we're just saturated with it and we can't connect with it and resonate with it anymore. Tired of the mad men. But people want mm -hmm. to buy from you they want to they feel a connection and a relationship with you so that's why they want to know what you're drinking and know what you look like and they want to buy the hat that you're wearing because what they're doing is they're investing in you and that can then translate in you teaching them how to get to a better place but they've got to they've got to they've got to be invested in you otherwise those who aren't invested with you are going to say, I'm going to go find somebody else. I can't really connect with her for whatever reason. Not anything against you, but it's just there's not a connection there. And so they'll go find somebody else that they can connect with. And from that person, they're going to buy the hat. They want to know what they're going to look like. They want to know what they're drinking on the weekends. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think it's super hard to know who to trust. Yes. And there's so many, especially in our community, where there's just so many people who maybe let you down. And, you know, so I understand it when sort of getting all of this. And this is why I have so much fun with Twitter, because it's like, you know, I just want people to live their life. I just want people to, I have so much fun with Twitter because I like to shock people out of their freaking comfort zone so that they think and start to live instead of just going about your day being a zombie. You know, life is for living. 
And I have so much more freedom now to think now that I'm not working a nine to five, now that I'm work optional, the freedom to think is actually the biggest asset that I did not expect from being work optional. So that's what I'm trying to do is just like get people to, to start thinking about what it is they want. And I get that that's an interesting idea. That's an interesting way to live. That's gosh, something I would love to be able to do is just have freedom to think. And so let me have your hat. <laughs> let me have your shirt. <laughs> Give me and your shirt, Aristotle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, and I, that's why I created underwear, you know, <laughs> because you can wear that. You can listen to me. This is, this is for real. Are you ready? <laughs> I often, when I've gone and stood on stage and presented to thousands of people, have worn underwear with a message just for me because, <laughs> because it gives me confidence and it gives me swagger and it allows me to take risks that I otherwise wouldn't do. And it makes me a better presenter because I just go for it. Right. That is literally the reason why I created that underwear so that you can, <laughs> you can like the idea is that you have a dividend dream and no one has to know that. Right. And you are taking control right now in that meeting that you're with, with your boss that you're unhappy about. Right. It doesn't matter because you're starting to take control of your own future and your own destiny. And that, that, is, that feels that great. Is, that is the <laughs> most unique piece of advice I think we've gotten in the eight years we've been, we've had this episode, yeah. this podcast. Also, also I, w- I want to know, but I kind of don't want to know before every meeting like that. Am I supposed to go into the bathroom and pull my pants down and take a look at my underwear? <laughs> no, because you know, you know it's there. It's just a knowing. <laughs> but how do you put it there every time? Like, do you have to like go on Etsy and like order like updated underwear every time you need a message, or do you just put it like a sure? You do. <laughs> I only have one pair out there. She's going to have Monday through Sunday underwear on Etsy. I could. I could. So you said that life is for living. 100% agree with that. But life is also for time-based growth. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that? Time-based growth. I mean, time as well. Um, I, I've done a ton of videos on this topic. I started 20 years ago. I know if I hadn't, I wouldn't have the wealth I have today. I just think that you need to think about your investments as seeds, whether it's the house or the stock that you buy or whatever it is that you're choosing, right? Is your wealth mechanism. It needs to have time to grow and appreciate. The time is going to be the multiplier on your wealth. So as examples, like, you know, that house that I first, my very first house that I still own, right? I bought that about 20 years ago and it's more than doubled in price. But the first five years, the value stayed the same, right? So had I sold it after the first five years, I wouldn't have made anything. I needed that time to go buy. Another example is, you know, when I, when I graduated undergrad, I got a just a few shares of Walgreens stock that somebody gave to me. And I thought, well, that's cool. I don't even know how to get to them or what to do with them, (laughs) you know? And I actually forgot about them. And 20 years later, like I just sold those about two years ago and they had doubled in value, but I totally forgot about them. But that's basically what it is, right? It's just, you need 
to be thinking in terms of decades, not single years in order to get that time-based growth. I think the problem for that for most people is that that's not sexy enough, right? I'm going to win mega millions tonight and I'm going to be a multi or I'm going to be a billionaire, right? That's kind of what people are looking for. It's just not sexy to say, invest methodically and recurringly in your 401k paycheck after paycheck and buy your home. And if you can, if you have the possibility, make sure you hold on to it for 20 or 30 years, even if you decide that you have to move. It's just, it's a little bit of a less of a sexy story, but to your point, it's the most reliable story out there. Yeah. I mean, I was just talking to someone yesterday morning about the options trading he was doing when I was visiting some friends in another city. And he was talking about that he had just lost whatever, $5,000, $6,000 on something he'd done on NVIDIA. And I was saying that I was getting consistent results, you know, to the tune of last month I made $8,000 on options and I'm doing very, very low risk. And his response was, yeah, but the way you're doing it is boring. (laughs) (laughs) But who's winning? (laughs) But you didn't lose $6,000 yesterday. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm like, yeah. And you know what? I love my investments to be boring because you know what I love to be sexy? Not that. (laughs) Everything else. I've got so many other parts of my life that are sexy. I don't need that part to be sexy and weird and, you know, thrilling and all of those things. Because as you guys know who I am now, it's like, I, I want the sure thing. I am actually much more conservative as a financial person because I have no safety net. I still think that way. Even with the idea that I'm a multimillionaire, it's just like hard to leave my mouth. I still have that belief in myself that I've got to be careful with it. And you know what though? I know where every single dollar that I've made has come from. And I think that also makes me be careful about what I want to do with it. I don't care if it's boring. If it works and I'm making $8,000 in a month on options, you know? So... Yeah, maybe, does, that, maybe that's just me. <laughs> well, it, it, you bring up a good point that it, in this aspect of your life, how you spend your money and how you decide to invest it, if that side is boring, you do have the option for other parts of your life to be sexy. Whereas if you're sexy and exotic and risky with how you spend your money and how you invest, there's very low probability that you're going to be able to also have the sexy, fun other sides of your life. Right. I mean, look across your entire life as every choice that you could make. And do you want to take high risk in every single part of it? I don't need that kind of stress. (laughs) Absolutely. So, How did this all start, though? How did you get into the investing side of things? Why dividends and how did all of that start? Well, so at the very beginning, let me think think about this for a second. At the very beginning, I was just doing like what everybody did, right? Like put money in a 401k, it came out of my paycheck. I only could pick what, what was in the 401k, which was like mutual funds and all of that kind of stuff. Then when I started changing jobs, you know, this idea of like, oh, do you want to roll over? Do you want to keep that money in that same 401k? Do you want to, what do you want to do with it? And so the, actually, the more I changed jobs or sort of every time I did during my 30-year career, it's it was like, 
I'm getting more and more money in this kind of other retirement account where I have infinite choices, not just the choices of the mutual funds that they had, the 20 or so, right, that they had to choose from. I could actually pick individual stock. I could do anything I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I flew a lot in my job. So I was on planes constantly. And I always bought a magazine at the airport. And again, I know I'm dating myself, (laughs) but Chiplinger's, Forbes, Money Magazine, whatever. Plus, obviously, I was in business and, you know, have an MBA and all that good stuff. But, you know, I just started reading a ton about the stock market and how I could be thinking about dividends and how that could maybe one day replace my income as a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And that was just, that was such a sexy thought. I was like, oh my God, is that real? Like, is there anybody I know that's doing that? And the answer was no. I didn't know anybody who was doing that. So I started shifting some of my money away from the more safer things. And I had a lot of money in even CDs. I mean, I was very, very conservative. That's how scared I was of losing my money. But it's taken decades of time to get comfortable and to really pick the right companies and to have a have such a strong strategy that I'm not worried at all. I don't think that there's much risk at all with what I'm doing just because I'm so confident in what I know. And so that's kind of how it went. I mean, I am the definition of a DIY investor. I did not have anybody show me how to do this. I didn't have parents who were showing me how to do this. Nobody. I just started thinking and doing research and reading. That's it. So it is possible, people. Exactly. Yeah. And from the outset, when you mentioned that comment of $95,000 a year in dividends, Mm. think about that, folks. How many of you would be happy with having a paycheck every year of $95,000 without having to do a lot more work than just take a look at your portfolio from time to time. (laughs) And I think, I can't remember her name, the woman who teaches the Stanford class on happiness and the stat that she uses, you basically need somewhere between 75 to $77,000 a year to be able at a comfortable level to focus on happiness and not think about money anymore. You're at that level, right? That, that you're, you can enjoy life so much more and you did it the boring way. So I love that you're doing this and you're sharing it with other people. Why are you sharing this with other people? And what's your goal behind that? How, what, for those of us who want to pay attention to what you're doing, why are we doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I sharing this? Right. Why? I mean, even though you're the international woman of mystery today, why are you sharing this with others? Just because I, like I said, when we were talking about it before, that I just thought that if I had seen a vision of this and it's it's just amazing. It's like, here I am, I'm, I've got $95,000 in dividends with the options, probably going to make $150,000 in completely passive income under 50 hours of work in a year. And I just thought, you know, if I could get that vision into one person's head, that this is doable, that it's not as scary as you think. And my strategies are actually very simple. 
I'm not doing complicated things. I'm trying to make my channel as beginner friendly as possible so that the first video that you watch, it doesn't matter if you start with the last one I did or the first one I did, that as a very beginner, you can go, wait a minute, what is this? I, I can understand this. This makes sense to me. And I get a lot of pressure. I actually have, I don't know why, tons of millionaires following me and even hedge funds following me. And I don't know why. And I get a lot of pressure to get more sophisticated with my analysis, which of course I can do, but I don't want to. Because my goal here is to help me 20 years ago. Nice. My goal is to help nice. this, a woman, someone who's scared, someone who's lost, someone who's who has no one else to depend on to say, okay, I can get my shit together. And I can start working in this direction. And if she can do it, I can do it. If she started from zero, I can do it. That's my goal. That's it. And I never, never, never thought that anything would come of this, that anybody would, that I would get even monetized on YouTube or anything like that. Just absolutely not part of my vision at all. So, yeah. And the thing I appreciate about that is, folks, you know, we, we talk about the data from the Debt-Free Guys Motley Fool LGBTQ Plus Money Study, and the people that you're talking to are community, right? 21% of our community says they don't invest because they don't know how to invest. 20% say they don't know what to invest in. 15% say they think it's too risky. 9% say they feel it's investing is not made for them. And you're the three strikes you're out answer to every single one of those from the family food. Uh, 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 you can be every single one of these. You can learn how to invest. You can learn what to invest in. It doesn't have to be risky. Investing tools are made for people like me and you. So I appreciate that you're doing this. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, from my perspective, I mean, that is one of the reasons why I like to be anonymous is that I actually open up my books I actually show you exactly what I'm holding, exactly what I'm selling, exactly what I'm buying so that you can see exactly what to invest in, exactly how I am investing, exactly what I see is too risky or not risky with no qualms about you seeing it. Because I think if you just talk in generalities or you hear someone talk in generalities, it's still too nebulous. You still don't know what to do next. I mean, I want to make sure that someone knows to the level of here's where you click if you've never made a trade before. And I've made videos like that, right? I mean, I want like the person who just started to be able to say, I can do this. And from my perspective, we LGBT community is just the community that needs to be doing this. Aren't we more at risk of being fired? Aren't we more at risk of being abandoned by family? More at risk for even you know, some health concerns that could be very costly late in life. Like, isn't this the perfect thing for us suited for us? Like it's off the beaten path thinking, you know what I mean? It's like, it's about being independent, doing your own thing, not having to be reliant on some existing system that doesn't fit you. You know, that's us girls. You know what I mean? 
having total freedom, you know, to one day say and do whatever it is you fucking want to do. I mean, that I think that this is perfectly suited for our community. I don't know why more people do not do it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that what, what when you think about the word queer and its differentness, this is a way for us to be even queerer, if that's a, way, it's a word to say, <laughs> queerer than the rest of people in America who are spending more money than they make, stressing out financially on a regular basis. We can be queerer by taking charge of our finances and going against what the vast majority of society is doing. To me, it all comes down to freedom, the ability to do what you want to do and having a path that you can actually see and calculate and know when you're going to get there to me is super motivating. Well, I loved finding you. First of all, I love the fact that I hadn't connected with you, to be honest, I hadn't connected with you on Twitter because I saw your account and I was like, oh, it's just another dividend account. And I, so I wasn't engaged and I hadn't looked at it a whole lot, but then I read your profile. I think one other time I read your profile and I saw your little LGBTQ plus and I was like, oh, I got to pay attention to what she's talking about or this person is talking about. And then I started to see your liveliness in your posts. And that's when I fell in love with, (laughs) we need to, we need to connect with this person. So how can our audience connect with you? Sure. I would say number one, by and large, my YouTube channel, which is The Dividend Dream. That's where you're going to get all the good stuff in terms of like hard hitting, you know, information. Certainly you can connect with me on Twitter where I'm a little bit racy, a little bit sexy, a little bit, you know, just me, just like whatever I'm thinking that moment. I'm also on Instagram, which is a ridiculous channel that hundreds of people were waiting for. And I don't know what to do with, but it's what I'm eating, driving, listening to whatever. I don't know why people care about that. And then of course I'm on like threads and I have the Etsy store, but YouTube, I would say is is sort of the main juice in terms of how I'm going to help you. Well, we've loved our conversation with you. Is there any last piece of advice or tip you would like to share with our audience? Gosh, just, you know, I find that the mindset is the biggest thing that you need to change, that you need to say to yourself, this is me. I will be wealthy. I can do this. This will be my life. And once you start down that road, I think there's just no stopping you then you become a sponge for all the information, which is another reason why I like to motivate a lot in Twitter is just to get your mind in that track that you are brilliant, you are worthy, and this is within your control. You can do it. Yes. Thank you very much. We appreciate you being with us, Dream. And folks, again, if you want to connect with Dream, we will have everything in our show notes that you can get through our newsletter. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com.
Thank you, Dream, for a great, informative, and inspiring interview. Thank you, our listeners and viewers, for joining us for another episode. Get your queer money takeaway from this episode in this week's newsletter, as well as an information on how you can connect with Dividend Dreams and your tip for reaching financial independence even faster. Get all that by signing up for the Queer Money newsletter with the link in your podcast player. Then join us this Thursday when we talk about the most affordable LGBTQ plus friendly city to live in Iowa. And then next Tuesday when we talk with Jason Tartik of The Bachelorette about the very sexy topic of investing in CDs. Thank you and have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.